Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Opasnost, opasnost. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. James, with gaudy wallpaper behind him. Uh, 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 <laughs> I rather like it, though. It's very green, this house. Fronds of green behind you, yeah. <laughs> it's green at the front as well, the whole, the whole facade of the oh, house. Oh, very nice. Very it's nice. So it's, it's, a, it's a strong look. Um, but anyway, more to the point, how are you? I mean, now that you're a star <laughs> of the West End stage. I would, don't get ahead of yourself. Um, uh, oh, well, I have got ahead of myself. I've, it's amazing. Uh, we, yes, we've um, yes, we've done we've done a couple of shows now, and uh, uh, it's been it's been an, a, a very in, it's been a very intense week. Um, yep. We did it, what was really interesting is we did technical rehearsals all week. So we lasted we last ran the play a week ago on Friday, and then we did technical rehearsals since, which is basically hold on, they're waiting for lighting, and you you stand around for half an hour. And then they go, hold on, we're waiting for lighting. And then you stand around for another 20 minutes and they go, great, okay, do the, do it again. You come in through the door and they go, hold on, we're waiting for lighting. So we had basically had that most of last week. And then Friday night, so we ran out of time to actually run a dress rehearsal proper. So Friday night. Oh, well, that's a bit we, frustrating. Yeah, but it was fine, really, because it, well, it, it certainly concentrated uh, minds and the senses, <laughs> put it that way. Um, uh, uh, so we, yeah, we did, we had, we sold out Friday and Saturday, which is which is great fun. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's genuinely amazing. And it was, and you it smashed was, it, obviously. Yeah, it was great. It was really good fun. It was really good fun. It's that strange thing of you know, you, you know, we work we, you work on a thing, and we're pretty confident that it's it's quite good. And it's the the energy, the the liberation of putting it in front of an audience and then really liking it. So, uh, uh, but but so everyone laughed at the right bits and all. Everyone that laughed like. at the right bits. They also laughed at some places which I don't think many of us had anticipated quite. Huh. Which I think is always inter- always interesting when you're d- yeah. doing a comedy, but um, but now we have to do it for three months. So there's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm not a professional actor, so uh, I remember, you know, what I do remember from school plays, and I think kind of maximum run was maybe five performances yeah. total. Yeah. But a fifth one, you're just like, oh, God, I'm bored of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and um, I never understand how you kind of can do something for kind of six months doing the same well, thing every single day, and everyone goes, "Yeah, but the audience is different." Also, you know, I always kind of think, really. Well, we'll see. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. This is the thing I'm going. To, <laughs> I'm going to find out. But um, yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was. It was really good fun this weekend. And and uh, uh, AD Bond came. Uh, I know Did on he? Friday. So yeah, we've had some. We've had some afflicted in, which is very nice. Um, uh, and one of the one of the crew, uh, fully afflicted as well. Uh, who, who who you know one of the carpenters or something. One of the guys bringing in the stuff, bringing the set. How amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, well, I think we, I'm going to get up on the. Um, I think the third week of July is my my my. Ah, brilliant. Okay, well, so I'll see. I can't wait because, as I'll you know, you I'm there. a massive fan of that period, and yeah. uh, it'll be brilliant to see you really well. And, and certainly, I mean, you're never going to get tired of putting on all those costumes, are you? Because they're magnificent. No, no. I mean, <laughs> and you do look superb the, in them. I have to the say. The thing is, is a big part of it is, you know, and actors, actors, you know, tend to keep it to themselves. But dressing up is a big part of it. Yeah. And uh, uh, and we do a lot of we do a lot of dressing up. I think I've got five outfits as the king. So oh, yeah, that's um, very strong, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, you know. Uh, and and the the most casual one is sort of completely ridiculous. So uh, uh, 
<laughs> well, I think you sent me a photo of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the casuals. That's the hangout kit, which is some yeah. mad red thing. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Well, where are you? You're in Cornwall, right? I'm in Cornwall, but it's it's Monday, the tenth of July. So this is a day yeah. of big events because this is the launch of Operation Husky, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of feel yes. we've done quite a lot on Husky, and we haven't really done anything on Kursk. Well, yes. I've got a great Hitler quote for you. Uh, go on. This offensive is of decisive importance. No, not it must again. end in swift <laughs> and decisive success. On the main axis of the best formations, the better commanders, and the large amount of ammunition must be used. Victory at Kursk will be a beacon for the whole world. And that's Hitler on the 15th of April, 1943. You see, you see interestingly, um, uh, I, went, I went and dug up this. Hitler's table talk. The table talk, right? Because I thought, what's he saying? A little bit of casual chat with Adolf. Well, yeah. And of course, you know, I mean, people who aren't familiar with this, it's a a controversial book as to which text is the right one and whether whether it's all cooked up and all this sort of stuff. And Speer of the day, though, is the sort of gist of it, isn't it? Yes. It's pretty consistent. Yeah. But so I thought, oh, what's he saying around Kursk? And And the thing is, is there's only like, there's only a tiny, there's only like, Half a dozen pages for 1943, full stop. And they're all June 43. Oh, this is when he's obsessing about, about the Italians being skulled, you know, about stabbing him in the back. Yeah, exactly. And being like sly foxes. Exactly. Also, lots of stuff about, um, you know, the dangers of over-centralisation of cultural life. French painters. I mean, it, it does sound like it does sound like a boring <laughs> evening if you um, <laughs> sat there with him pronouncing, doesn't it? Um, but, but, but. But but what's interesting is is that the, the table talk doesn't have anything from from around then. So it's I mean it the, 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 it's absent that statement though you, you you know that this is the most I mean how many times did he say this is the most decisive yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's a bit like it's a bit like cherry picking those diaries isn't it and someone yeah. saying that they think Monty's an ass I mean yeah you know everything's the most decisive isn't it the most important the yeah. biggest the bestest the kind of yeah. most important well, the future of the well, whole that, world well that's interesting because because uh, I mean Otto Klemperer in his diaries he goes on about the degradation of language in those sort of military pronouncements he says well you've you've already what do you mean you're going to destroy the Soviet Army this time. You already, last time you said you destroyed the Soviet army. You, how many how many times could you annihilate them? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the extra Soviet army. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The language is so sort of bust by this point. So the interesting thing about this battle, though, is this is a battle around which people, it's the biggest tank, you know, it's got lots of superlatives built around it, hasn't it? It's, it, it's yeah. the largest tank battle of all time, blah, blah, blah. You know, mass destruction of the here, uh, here's armoured resources in the, in yep. the east and all this sort of stuff. Because, because obviously, there's been, a, there's been, there has been a historiographical sort of pendulum with this, sort of backwards and forwards, hasn't there? But yep. this is an enormous, one way or another, whichever way you want to look at it, this is an enormous battle, isn't it? A gigantic. It's event. absolutely one huge. way, or, one way or another, whichever tides of the historiography you follow, this is a gigantic thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because the curse salient is whatever it is, it's a hundred. 100 kilometres, so 60 miles deep, 60 miles yeah. wide perimeter. Yeah. You know, the open exposed perimeter is like 250 kilometres. So what's yeah. that, 140 miles or something, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so, so, so it's huge. It involves millions of men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, millions. Yeah. Uh, millions. You know, 30,000 artillery pieces conservatively on both sides. You know, thousands of aircraft. Yeah. Thousands of armoured fighting vehicles. You know, I don't want to just say tanks because there's lots of assault yeah. guns and so on and Stugs and Marders yeah. and yeah. Soviet assault guns as well. It, you know, it, it, it really is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. And actually, I mean, what's amazing about it is it you know, doesn't really kind of develop into much. And from the German point of view of the attack, I think they make they make a headway of about 12 kilometres. Yeah. What's that? Eight miles, seven miles yeah. from the north and a similar amount on, in the south. I mean, they just don't get very far. Yeah, uh, uh, and then it's a whole another phase of fighting which goes through to August, and uh, by which point everyone's exhausted and you know they have to pause again. I mean, the, the war in the Eastern Front is 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 repeatedly marked by huge, great shifts of action, and then and and then a pause by this phase yeah. because the Russians are ch- uh, you know the Red Army is sort of changing; it's becoming more professional, but it's also it's also incredibly. Um, expensive in the way it fights you know which is this yeah. sort of 
swinging back the sledgehammer and whamming into it, you know, the sort of deep war principles, this idea that you you just go straight on with everything, you know, with your, your lead troops, with your kind of echelons following up behind and you just plough away. And eventually, you know, that, of course, that causes huge amounts of casualties. Eventually, you just run out of steam. You've got to pause for another few months. But it, but but the build-up to it, I think, is really interesting because it has involved a ding-dong which has followed the uh, the surrender, at the, the encirclement of Sixth Army at, at, at Stalingrad. Yeah. Um, and, and also the destruction, of course, the Italian Eighth Army and yep. those Romanian armies as well. But but it's not all complete plain sailing. And the Red Army, to a certain extent, have kind of slightly got ahead of themselves. Yeah. And there's been this huge fight for Belgorod and for Kharkov, which has repeatedly changed. And actually, it might be worth just going into all that because 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 you do we do tend to think of the of the um, of the war on the Eastern Front in terms of ink spots, and, and it's quite useful, I think, to kind of connect it all. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, I think what's also interesting is you said earlier on that the, the Soviets are professionalizing and all that sort of stuff, but the Germans are also learning their lessons. Is the other interesting yeah. thing about this is that you know we we started off with you know victory at Kursk will be a beacon for the world, but but in February Hitler orders Kharkiv to be held at all costs. But again, it's a bit like the, the kind of the most important battle ever. I mean, he's always holding, yeah. every, telling everyone yeah. to hold everything at but, all costs. But but the men on the ground go actually no thanks. We're not going to do that. Well, the funny thing that I, I the thing that I find mo- most interesting is it's 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 always the troops that you would think would be most kind of yes sir absolutely sir three bags full sir yeah who, who aren't it's the Waffen SS they're the ones who are most yep. kind of likely to go do you know what you can shove that up your ass yeah. I mean you know they do in in Normandy don't they they're yeah. constantly yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's actually it's the same guy it's the SS Panzerkorps two yeah. Panzerkorps uh, who then fight on the southern flank at um at Kursk later on in July they're also the ones that, and General Paul Hauser yeah. who's back in Normandy the following year you know and also saying well I don't like the sound of this you know Hitler's gone mad yeah so it's interesting isn't it Yes, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, but basically on the, yeah, so, so on the 9th of February. But, but maybe, well, I'm just going to say to you, maybe they have the leeway because they're regarded as politically reliable that they can do that, whereas the army. Yeah, maybe. Hitler has this ambivalent relationship with the army. So the army have to, the army have to show their loyalty, whereas the SS don't. So the, F, the SS yeah. have that leeway, that freedom of movement, as it were. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I mean, who knows? Or, or it's just that, 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 that they're prepared to say, no, sorry, we're not doing that. It's just I think really, really interesting because otherwise, mm. otherwise you lose you lose two SS Panzer Corps, don't you? They get swallowed up at Kharkiv in in, in similar manner, probably. Yeah. You know? What what I find very amazing though is is that by March nineteen forty three, the Red Army is six million strong. Know, okay, that that's that's after all those catastrophic losses of nineteen forty one and first half of nineteen forty two. I mean, yeah. <laughs> And another kind of half million in the NKVD. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of troops, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And they're changing their look, aren't they? They're getting rid of the collar tabs, which is all sort of part yeah. of the peasants' army, and they, they're now going back to the shoulder boards, which is a kind yeah. of sort of imperialist, czarist kind of look. And there's a there's a great story of Rokossovsky coming back from Stalingrad. He comes out to Stalingrad and he meets these generals, and they've all got the shoulder boards. And he thinks, yeah. what? <laughs> You know, this is the man who's famously or infamously yeah. been purged. He thinks, what's yeah. going on here? And they go, oh, no, 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 these are the new uniforms. We're all going for this this new look now. And, you know, Rokossovsky kind of raises a wry eyebrow at this. Well, because he he's been, okay. he'd been through absolutely everything, hadn't he? He'd been through, he's been he'd through, been through, through the, the world. Back yeah. and outside, out the other yeah. side again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they push on in the flush of, of victory. From Stalingrad, you know, this huge encirclement, Little Saturn, this huge encirclement. Yeah. Destroyed the Italian 8th Army, get rid of the Romanian armies, Sixth Army's in the bag as well. And, and, yeah. and Belgorod's not that far off. And if you, because you've got Kharkov and then going sort of almost due east, you've got Belgorod, then almost due east again, you've got yeah. Stalingrad. Yeah. So they take Kursk as well. So it's this huge, so Kursk is north of 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 Kharkov, if you yeah. if you think of our map now and the Ukrainian war, it's it's on yeah. you know Kharkov is in in the kind of northern side of Ukraine on the yeah. eastern end, isn't it? So 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 Kursk is sort of above that, yeah. And they take Belgorod and they take Kursk uh, and they're now threatening Kharkov, and and this is the point where Hitler says, you know, whatever happens, you know, must be fought for every yard. On the thirteenth of February and on the fourteenth of February, you know, the SS just go. Pfft, Forget it. And they pull back, which is unquestionably the right thing to do from a German point of view. And that's the 
that that's the same day as Kasserine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good point. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So isn't that isn't that uh, and and City Bouzid starts as well that day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so this is this is so no I, wonder I think, Hitler's going. Oh my marvelous Rommel. Yeah. <laughs> You know, give me a victory in this time give of me, doom. Give me and a, there th- it well, is. a thing that a thing that looks like one at least. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the, the the other thing is is that they they still they, they still can't read what's happening uh, at all reliably, can they? If they if they're yeah. reading Kasserine as a victory, given that given the how, how you know that Rommel is hundreds of miles west of where he ought to be in terms yeah. of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because he's going then he's going to go on to Algiers, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, piece of, exactly. Piece of yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see, you know, in terms of what, what it, so I mean, what is Rommel's strategic purpose? Will you never that? learn, Irwin? Apart from providing good headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I hadn't. I, do you know what? I just hadn't made that connection. But you're absolutely so right. That's so interesting. Which is, of course, is why why suddenly all the attention turns back to Rommel, isn't it? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. So so on the 14th of February, Red Army retakes Kharkov. And there's yep. now there's a you know hundred mile gap between Army Group B and Manstein's Army Group Don, which has had another of these confusing name changes again. So it's now back yeah. to Army Group South because they're nowhere near the Don anymore. Yeah, that one's flown on the winter wind. Um, they kind of organise themselves, don't they? And they get sorted. And Fourth Panzer Army, which is Hote, remember yep. him from from yeah yeah. He, he, God, he's he's amazing, isn't he? Because he's just no. There's hope. He's commanding. See, fifth Panzer Division in yeah. Because he's with with yeah. with that core, isn't he? That that, that Rommel's part of. Yeah, fourth yeah. And, and the fifth and the seventh Panzer Divisions in in yeah. France in 1940. Then yeah. he's in Barbarossa. He's one of those generals that kind of no one knows what he looks like, and no <laughs> one knows what happened to him. But actually, he was pretty successful, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And he's commanding the 4th Panzer Army, which is one of the, you know, one of the big ones. So he's attacking from the west of Kharkov. And so that means sort of northern Ukraine, southern Belarus, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, and first armed Panzer Army from the south. And the Russians just get absolutely mauled. Yeah. Uh, and this is because Stalin is urging them on. It can't, we've got to strike while the iron's hot. And, and he yeah. just doesn't realise that the logistics of moving all that distance... You know, the front troops just haven't caught up with the logistic chain. They're all knackered. You know, they've all been fighting in this battle, you know, since November. It's now February. It's been winter. And and they just get absolutely hammered. Uh, Red Army, 43,000 lost in Kharkov. And Kharkov changes hands again. That's, I mean, the the, the, the numbers, I mean, the the thing I said earlier on, the, the scale of all of this, it is essentially, it's almost beyond being able to contain it in your head, isn't it? The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sheer scale of it. And the idea that anyone can, tr- can, can possibly control what's going on. That, um, yeah. uh, uh, that any, anyone's influence over anything, um, from, from the general <laughs> to, the, to the atomized level. How, how on earth does, how yeah. on earth actually does anyone, contr- anyone control what's happening? And you're at the mercy of your training and, and, and like you say, your supply and logistics and then your morale is a byproduct of the two and hopefully it hangs on. But, I mean, you know, you lose a city like Kharkov and you lose 43,000 people in it and th- the, the message relentlessly from the top is, well, carry on, you know. Keep Just keep acting. going. There's six Just million behind going. you. Trust me, keep going. Everything will be all right. It's extraordinary. Well, when you've got 6.5 million, I suppose... Suppose forty three thousand is pretty small beer, isn't it? I suppose. I suppose it's about uh, mass and weight and the tides of history and individuals being less important than the than the outcome. If you see what I mean, that must inform how. It, that's also informing how you fight and your your view of human life. It has to, because yeah. a Western government wouldn't have been able to fight Sta- Stalingrad, would it? Would have, wouldn't have been able no. to do it. No, wouldn't be able to beat the Germans at Stalingrad. They just wouldn't have been able. To, they would not have been able to do it. I mean, they, what they'd have obviously done is applied every strategic bomber they possibly could to the area, which is the thing, that, of course, that Soviets don't have at their disposal. Um, in any in any of this, yeah, it's the scale and the brutality. But the, but but at the key that people are able to influence what's going on, I think is in, is sort of remarkable. Isn't I it? think I think you're right, but you know, I, I mean, I've just been doing the final final bit of work on savage storm you know the italy yeah. book and you know and the and it's always that kind of nightmare of having to read through the final page proofs and all the rest of it, it was always a bit <laughs> yeah. of a bore 
But actually, I mean, (laughs) you know, I don't want to sort of um, blow wind up my backside, but I've been pleasantly surprised, actually. Um, (laughs) But but what it's it's sort of reconfirmed, as if I needed reconfirming, is just the unbelievable slaughter. You know, know, and Ortona is called the Stalingrad of the Adriatic. Yeah, uh, and then you have the kind of you know the Bernard line and and Monte Samucro and all the rest of it, and the Texan yeah. battalion being reduced to 155 people that are still standing, you know, after one night of fighting and stuff. So it's not Stalingrad levels, but it, in many ways it's kind of not far off it. Yeah, it's just near I, as I damn mean, it. you know, yeah, you know, on the on the Adriatic front at Ortona, the 90th Panzer Grenadier Division and the 65th Infantry Division, these two German divisions, they're yeah. totally destroyed. I mean, they they're gone. You know, so yeah. to that extent, the, the fighting is is having a similar kind of level of intensity as as that of Stalingrad. The difference, of course, is although it's winter, it's not quite as cold as it is in Stalingrad. Internal continental winter, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, but in terms of casualties, it's yeah, it's right up there. To be honest, I mean, yeah, and certainly in terms of battlefield casualties alone. Yeah. I mean, not just yeah. sickness, and also they're all getting sick as well. You know, they're all getting jaundice yeah, yeah. and malaria and everything. So, no, it is absolutely brutal. But yeah, you know, the the, the truth is, is Stalin is in massive danger of sort of overcooking, and I think one of the reason, reasons. Uh, the whole Red Army, but I think one of the reasons is that is because actually further north, the North Caucasus Strategic Offensive Operation, you know, the the Don Offensive, yeah. that's actually going pretty well because yeah. obviously the bulk of the German forces are up still uh, up near Leningrad yeah. and, and down in this area. So there's a kind of sort of, there's a, you know, it's it's one of these bits where the the, the front from the German perspective is being held by kind of weak infantry divisions, you know, which are just not in the same league as these panzer yeah. armies. And so they're being sort of blown away, and, and and you know in this in this stretch between November 1942 and April um, 1943, you know they're advancing 400 miles. Yeah, you know best part of 400 miles in that northern bit, and so and so so Stalin can see all this map moving uh, for, from in Moscow at the Kremlin and thinking, right, we, this is the time to really get them when they're down. And so he orders Rokossovsky with his um, with his um, um, central front. To push up and take um, Orel, which is this city north of Kursk. Yeah. And, you know, he's absolutely seething about it. He just thinks it's a terrible idea. Realises that he's, you know, all his front, his front needs to kind of stop, pause, consolidate, rebuild yeah. strength, you know, replenish depleted units, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And he's just not allowed to. Um and it and it doesn't work. And and you know, Kharkov has lost as well in in, in March, you know, that's retaken. Uh, and and again, they get they get sort of badly mauled. But the end of this, the end of this period of fighting, you've got the Kursk salient, which is this big square bulge. What's extraordinary about that third battle of Kharkov? Yeah. What's extraordinary about that is that, as you say, it's forty five thousand Soviets killed. The, the the German losses are roughly a tenth of that. Which and if one thing illustrates your point about um you know how how the Soviets are going to do things, where well, what you do is you pump people in and you you sledgehammer, and you just go 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 go. Shut lots of mud at the wall, hope some sticks. Yeah, it's that it's that you know, and they outnumber the Germans three to one in that battle, but they but but their their casualties outnumber the German casualties ten to one. Yeah, that's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's isn't it? Isn't it absolutely incredible? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So anyway, so the scene, so we've 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 not done badly there, ladies and gentlemen. We've actually managed to we've set the scene for the spring thaw that precedes the Battle of Kursk. We'll see you in a moment after the break. <laughs> I can't believe we actually managed to. I mean, normally that would take a whole episode, but say so, yeah, know, it would, wouldn't it? We've actually actually pushed through that one. We're patting ourselves on the back here. We'll see you in a tick. Hola. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, um, where uh, we have set the scene for the spring thaw. Um, I mean, this is the interesting <laughs> thing, isn't it? Is that the is that you know we've seen it again, again a lot of the place names, and we keep talking about Kharkov here, you know, Kharkiv, which has been in the news the last year. Donets, it, Donets, all these places, the Don River, you know, the the yep, Donbass. Donbass. I mean, it's the it's the river. Um, so much of this, you know, you now have this lull. Uh, just as there was the lull before what appears to be the Ukrainian counteroffensive um, this year, there's the lull where you're waiting for basically the the ground to dry out after the thaw. Yeah, because there's because it's frozen this... solid. There's lots of snow. Then yep. it all thaws out. Then it melts, and then no one can do anything because it's yep. uh, and actually for the Red Army as well as for the Germans, this is well particularly for the Red Army. Actually, it's it's much more advantageous to the Red Army than it is the Germans because. Have the Germans been able to counterattack straight away and, and push on and, and reduce the, the curse salient, then you know they might have done it then because the, the Red Army was spent and, and certainly both the uh, Vorondia front, which is Vatutin, General Vatutin, which is yeah. the southern half of the of the curse salient, and, and Rokossovsky, who's got the northern two thirds of the salient with his central front, they're spent, they're done, they're, yeah. they're absolutely done, and they haven't made any preparations at this point because the Bulgars only just appeared. Yeah. Um, and it's only appeared once the Red Army's been pushed back from that operation that Stalin insisted that Rokossovsky launched to try and take Orel. And, it, it, you know, and it just didn't work. Yeah. But the Germans aren't able to do that. You know, they they, they, they just can't. They, they're spent too. Everyone's spent. Um, you know, what what a winter it's been. I mean, Well, and the, and the strategic elastic is how far are they from, how far are they from Berlin, you know? in terms of their supply lines compared to how far are the Soviets from their own operational bases. You know, it's it's that ancient problem, the strategic dynamic, isn't it? Is that you're, you know, the, the, the Germans are right at the end of their piece of elastic and the, the, the Russians are, nice, are sat nicely on theirs. There's, there's that simple advantage that the Soviets have at this point. So it's it's interesting when you when you look at the map that you know the the front line sort of runs north to south and then there is this just this massive rectangle yeah. which sticks out and it is pretty much it's like a sort of an iPad on its side or something that's what it looks like it's rectangular not quite square and actually I got it wrong it's not it's, it's about five hundred kilometers all the way round the sort three of like sides a, of it a fist with its thumb up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, what's 500 kilometers? About 300 miles, isn't it? So 300 yeah. miles all on the three sides of it, which are sticking out. And obviously, from a German point of view, you don't want that because that's just extending your your front yeah. by 250 kilometers. So what's yeah. that? 160 miles, 70 miles, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So so you don't want that. Um, and also that's a point from which um, the Germans can attack, but yeah. launch out. So you know, whichever way you do it. Look at it. That's not a good thing to do. Yeah. The longer your front, the more men you've got to put around it. So yeah, yeah. So clearly, it makes sense to get rid of it. So the plan is to kind of squeeze it out from the from the north near the front line, the rest of the front, and from the south at the same time, and just enact another of their kind of traditional Barbarossa esque encirclements. Yeah. You know, that's the plan. Uh, and the area is one of sort of undulating farmland. And the interesting thing about it is is the, the way the rivers flow is is that there's no major river in that section. There's no kind of Don or Dnieper or anything. And, and the rivers that there there are tend to kind of sort of flow kind of north south or south north or whatever, yeah. rather than east west. So if you're attacking from the north and you're attacking from the south, you haven't got a mass of rivers that yeah. you've got to get across. You can more or less go with the flow. Yeah. 
which obviously from a logistical point of view makes it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another weird thing is that there are enormous iron ore deposits in the cursed salient. Oh, really? Which, yeah, massive. Absolutely massive, massive, massive iron ore deposits. Mm. And they'd already started doing open cast mining in that area. Right. But obviously it plays havoc with compasses. Right, okay. So there's yeah. all sorts of fun to be had getting lost in this vast, open, undulating area. So it's, it's just it's just a sort of mass of... Of it's sort of a bit kind of prairie s. It's not prairie s because it's not flat as a board, yeah. but it's 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 grassland, pasture land, lots of, of of wheat fields. Yeah, the road system and rail system are poor on the whole yeah. in this yeah. in this area, but much better to the south and to the north. So from the from the German point of view, the logistic the logistics the infrastructure is much better for building up their troops than it is yeah. for the Soviets building up theirs. Yeah. However, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's not nothing straightforward. Well, nothing straightforward, and I'm also, I mean, the the other thing is, is, uh, and this starts to offer itself in the in the figures uh, as the Soviets prepare for what's happening. Is this is the absolute the the taps are completely on for lend lease at this point, aren't they? You could argue this is the Churchill the, tanks. Churchill tanks. Ch- Churchill tanks. Yes, exactly. So let's let's, let's Churchill not, tanks. Let's not think. Well, let's not think in terms of lend lease as just American aid as well. Yeah, I'm still reeling from the 418,000 miles. I know. Of telephone wire. Fifth Guards Army has um uh, uh has T-34s, T-70s, Churchills, self-propelled guns. You know, it, Fifth Guards got, Army is in Vatutin's lot, isn't it? That's yes, for on exactly. your front. So in their inventory, they have they have they have Churchill tanks, but also trucks and jeeps and and boots. Yep. And this is the absolute. This is when you know because we talked about how at Stalingrad there are jeeps at Stalingrad. You're like, wow, that's quick, right? That, yeah. That, well, well, we're we're essentially we're nine months later, or oh well, six months later at this point, and lend lease is in absolute full flow. And this is a this is a lend lease. Victory, you, you 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 could argue that the Soviets are able to do what they're able to do in this in this battle because Lend-Lease is fully in place. And yes, obviously there's six million Soviet soldiers and all that, but someone has shod them and someone is providing them with spam and butter and all the rest that's enabled the Soviet. Because like, it's very interesting since we did since we talked about Lend-Lease. I mean, it's two or three months ago, and since um I read the Sean McKeegan book about um you know, start the Stalin's war book. It really made me think about um, Adam Tooze's wages of destruction, where he argues, you know, that, that, that the Germans, you know, they have their political revolution, but they don't revolutionize the society. So what they don't do is bring their society up to the point where it's capable of fighting this war. And basically the Nazi approach will be, well, we'll do that once we've won. We'll, we're having this war to clear the decks, to, to, to be able to finish our revolution. Whereas the Soviets, Stalin has enacted his revolution. He's industrialized the Soviet Union. And that's why he's actually done it. That's why he's able to win the war. Lend-Lease is missing for that picture. He's missing yeah. from, feels to me, and, and you know, I maybe I'm probably need to go back and look at Wedges of Destruction again. But it feels like if you don't include that in the picture, the Soviets are still, they've still got their ass hanging out because they can't, they, they can't produce enough boots, oil, the hundreds of thousands of miles of copper telephone wire or whatever. This is a lend-lease battle. Well, you know, what, what, what they are able to do is by this stage, they're producing vast numbers of T-34s. Yeah, it's still yeah. the old model because the, 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 the T-34-85 hasn't come in yet. It's still on the 76s. But, 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 they're but, still using Churchills and they're using Stuarts and they're Shermans yeah, to yeah, come yeah, and, absolutely. and all this. But, well, yeah. I, I would say that the, the scientific, you know, the fact that they've got Churchills and Stuarts and, and Valentines is, is one thing. But actually, the, the, it's, it's the jeeps and the trucks and the boots and the spam and the telephone wire. It's all the kind of unglamorous stuff yeah, yeah. that is making it possible. Because as, you, as we all know, your, your, your frontline tank is only as good as the support crew behind it. And if you haven't got the kit to repair it and to back it up and support it and supply it with fuel and you know, feed, the, feed the lads and all the red and lasses in the case of the Red Army... You're nothing. So that that is, I think, where where Lend-Lease really really kicks in. Uh, and 
The Soviets don't have the capacity to feed themselves in the way that they should do because the whole of Ukraine is gone and and because they have these terrible winters and because they're still at this point in 1943, they've got all their factories running now in in the Ural Mountains and all the rest of it. But, you know, the distances of travelling from there to there, that, that, that can sustain bringing infantry up to the front. It can sustain artillery pieces. It can sustain T-34s yeah, and KV-2s and all the rest of it. But but it can't sustain everything. And and that's why Lend-Lease is just so absolutely vital to the whole thing. Yeah, the, the, the Red Army is becoming ever more self-sufficient, but it's still nothing like as self-sufficient as it needs to be able to pull off this victory on its own. That's the no. point. Exactly. But the other thing that, that complicates life for the Germans, of course, is that... In all those encirclements in 1941 and 42, you're never encircling an entire army and putting it in the back. No. You're, you're, you're neutralising an army and preventing it from operating as an army. But you're all, because the distances are so huge, because there's so many forests, because there's so many villages, because, 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 yeah. tens of thousands of Soviet Red Army troops are left behind. And what happens to them? They become partisans. Yeah. And because the distances are so huge, it's impossible to stop the fluidity of the front. So if, if, yeah. if NKVD people want to get to the partisans, they're going to get to them because there's any number of places where you can pass. It's not like there's a sort of massive wall of barbed wire between you know, Leningrad and, and the Sea of Azov. I mean, it's just not like that. So, so actually, the flow of information from the partisan organisations and from Stavka and NKVD is, is pretty enormous. And what that does mean is that you can organise the partisans in a way that you can't in any other country. You know, in Italy, they can organise them in the north, in, you know, in the Maquis, you know, Jean Moulin can do his level best and all the rest of it. But it's a much closer, closer countryside. It, it's much more infrastructure. It's much harder to hide. It's much more difficult to kind of get information back and forth. I mean, it's not impossible. Of course, it's not because, because they do. But here, it's really, really leaky. And... They're given very, very strict instructions about what they want to do. And, and what they want them to do is do lots and lots of intelligence work. Yeah, um, uh, They equip them all with radios and stuff so they can communicate this really quickly. They want to do sabotage operations, so lots of sabotage on railway lines, reporting of troop movements, reporting of locations of dumps and depots and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. And because your, your railway lines are much better in the German bit but still limited, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't... It doesn't take a huge amount of intelligence work to work out where all this stuff is. You know, if you want to build a dump near Orel, yeah. it's impossible for the Germans to hide it. Yeah. And then you yeah. send over the Red Army Air Force and you blow it all up. Yeah. I mean what what I mean what what is interesting is is there's this also a similar dynamic here to um you know, by this point, it's 1943, and it's clear that the Germans are beatable. And also the Germans have the the other thing that the Germans have done is they've made it you know any any bloom of like nationalist goodwill that um you know republics wishing to leave the soviet union may have had in 1941 has been absolutely th- you know the germans have demonstrated they're not here to liberate anybody they're here to k- kill and oppress and slaughter yeah. and starve and enslave so so and and it's it's on a different scale to you know we've often talked about this in france there's no resistance to the first couple of years in france because it looks like the war's over. It looks like that. It looks like there is no France to fight for in a meaningful sense. You know, you'd be resisting simply for the sake of resisting, rather than in order to in order to liberate the country. And the same things happened here, hasn't it? That basically, yeah. that yes, it's a product of the space, in the wide open space, and the fact that and the fact that everywhere it is very leaky. But it's also the fact that it looks like the Soviets can win, and so yeah. And also, what's the alternative? The alternative is is, is yeah. Armageddon in Ukraine and Belarus. Exactly. Belarus. Exactly. Uh, I mean, so you might as well go and hide in a forest and, and fight yeah. and try and get rid of them because yeah. the alternative is you're going to get shot or, or yeah. starved yeah. to death or, exactly. or enslaved you know, end or, up with or your village or slaved yeah. or your yeah. village yeah. burnt. So you exactly. might as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, once again, time and time again, and thank goodness they do it in a way, um, you know, the Germans just shoot themselves in the foot with their own ideology, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, had they been quite nice to the Ukrainians, it could have been so different. But but or and indeed the Belarusians, but they but they don't. But they can't. Not. They, but they, can't, they can't. They can't. Of course can't. they can't. They can't. It's, no. it, it, it's philosophically impossible for them. Yeah, ideologically. Exactly. So 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 they're able to kind of you know so so the partisans are able to report back very accurately sort of troop movements. The fact that kind of you know 
30 odd divisions are freed up on the front by kind of jigging the Germans jigging things around that another 170,000 men have come down that you know over 2,000 tanks and armoured fighting vehicles have been moved in um, you know 1,500 fuel bases all of these are meticulously reported back their locations and everything and they and they know also the other other thing that's really interesting is is that they've got very good intelligence yeah they know Um, this they know and part of it is because of John Cairncross of course yeah also it's obvious what it's obvious what the you know, the, the strategic logic to what the Germans are going to do, isn't there? Yes, but but it is reinforced by hard, yeah. hard, hard intel from which in, comes intel. Which, which comes from Bletchley Park. I mean, it's the partly from Bletchley Park. This is this is yeah. this is ultra. So he's so John Carecross's handler in um, um, in in London gives him money to buy a car so that on his day off he can deliver the ultra decrypts. I mean, to honestly, London. hello, John. You know, hello, John. Got a new motor. Where'd you get your car from? I mean, th- how can you afford a car? Surely the yeah. How did it take to the nineteen sixties or whatever? <laughs> but there's also the Lucy Network. In um, um, this is Rudolf Hausmann, who's this, yeah. this anti-Nazi German in Switzerland. Yeah, and he's got mates in the OKW. You know, this is all Valkyrie stuff. Yeah. So he's got mates in the in the OKW who are feeding him information about troop movements and all the rest of it, and plans yeah. and operational yeah. plans and everything. So plus that, plus plus the partisans, plus aerial intelligence, plus SIGINT, yeah. you know, signals intelligence. Yeah. Means they know, you know, the, the Soviets know exactly what the curse plan is. They know it's called Zitadel, <laughs> and they know pretty much when it's going to be launched at the beginning of July. But there was a story that uh, 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 I think in the paper last week that Hitler knew they knew. Uh, <laughs> so does it anyway? I mean, <laughs> well, so, so why does Hitler do it? Why does he launch it? Why, why doesn't he just go? Okay, let's just hold the front. Let's pull back. Let's trade space for time. Go back a little bit. We don't need. We don't need this area. Well, what? Yes, logically, what you do is you is you still got Ukraine. Well, you 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 remove yourself from the from the you you shorten your lines. Around the bulge, so that there isn't a bulge anymore. Yeah, so you come back all, all consistently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Pull exactly. back all the way, exactly. way along. Exactly. Build massive but, defenses. Yeah, but but if you're again, you can't do that, can you? Because your your the whole thing is going forwards, isn't it? You, you, it? Yeah, and it's also because you know German prestige has taken a massive dent. Yeah. You know, got Axis partners, bit jittery. Yeah. You know, Hungarians aren't feeling great. Let's face it, Romanians aren't feeling great. Why do it? It, it? That's. I mean, that's actually that. It, it, as a simple fundamental question, is a, especially as he's looking over his shoulder to uh, the Mediterranean because he really is looking over his shoulder at the Mediterranean because he does regard the Mediterranean as an incredibly. It, we've talked about this before. He regards it as incredibly important, and and he's ready. He's ready to put a pause on Citadel if the Mediterranean doesn't turn out the way he wants it to. And of course, that is what then happens. So why why bother? It's very it's it's very why not strange, why not pull back? Well, it, well, it's it's all to do with you know because he knows that it's the biggest grouping of 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 Soviet troops in that area. You've got Central yep. Front and the and the Voronya Front. They're the two strongest. So you might be able to kind of destroy a million Red Army troops. Okay, that still yep. leaves five and a half million. But but yep. but you know that, that that's your cream. It's like yep. all these things. You you can look at statistics and stuff, but it's actually it's it's obviously it's a lot more nuanced than than just the statistics. Yeah. Um, regaining prestige, um, showing his boss, all those sort of things. And also yeah. just because he's a megalomaniac and, yeah. and, and, you know, that's what they do. You know, yeah. it's incredible because, because in that lull, the Red Army, you know, Vatutin and, and Rokossovsky go, okay, right, let's just make sure this is just, this gets absolutely nowhere. So they start yeah. building these defensive belts. Yeah, and there's kind of eight of them in total, if you include yeah. the kind of you know the the step defense line or whatever it's called, you know, which is sort of behind the behind the bulge, but but you know all around those three sides of the of the salient is these you know it's like Torres Vedras. I mean, but 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 it's absolutely times amazing. a zillion. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it it, it and they start in April, so and we're talking about a battle that starts in July. So they've had, and that's the advantage of having millions of men. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the get truck, digging and the trucks and the trucks and the and dozers the spam and the dozers. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, is it? Because Zhukov says it'd be better for us to wear down the enemy um, on our defence, knock out his tanks, bring in fresh reserves, and finish off his main grouping with a general offensive. Uh, what I find, what I find interesting about that that memo to Stalin is that's, it's so. I mean, just blindingly obvious <laughs> that that's the that's the way to do it. But the fact that it has to be articulated 
laid out um, and, you know, sent to Stalin probably with your fingers crossed, you know, hoping yeah. hoping that he buys it. <laughs> and, and then the Stavka says, to meet the, the enemy attacking a well-prepared defensive bridgehead, to bleed attacking German groupings, trying to then, then to launch a general offensive. The Stavka has got, that's basically exactly the same as Zhukov's memo there. Yeah. The penny has dropped that this is the easiest way to, or the, well, the best way to do it. I mean, nothing, nothing is easy, as Klausowitz says, you know, everything's, nothing is simple, nothing's easy. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean... But the Red Army have got three choices, haven't they? But, yeah, you yeah. know, they, they, they could continue just doing these little kind of pushes. Meal pushes, yeah. Which doesn't really work and is just very, very wasteful. They could pull back. They could yeah. do. Trade space for time. Straighten their lines, yeah. Straighten the lines, all up. that kind of yeah. stuff as well. Because while the bulge is a problem for the Germans, there's also a problem for them. Yeah. Makes them vulnerable for being pinched out. Yeah. Or go, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to dig in and we're going to make it incredibly difficult and then we'll use it as a base from which to counterattack. Yeah. And, and this is where you suddenly see this sea change, you know, where, where they're confident now. Yeah. That they've, they've got enough material coming through from a combination of their own factories plus Lend-Lease, of course. Yeah. But also... It's that it's that mid period of the war. It's it's kind of you know it's August nineteen forty two for the British, isn't it? It's it suddenly you know the the crap people have gone. You know Stalin is kind of just starting to kind of listen to his senior commanders. Yeah, that the, there's a, there's a newfound professionalism creeping in, yeah. which has been eroded by the purges of the late nineteen thirties and has been severely tested in the opening year and a half of the of the the war on the Eastern Front, but now is. Well, there we are, two years, almost two years in. And they've learned those lessons. And you've got people like Vatutin and Konyev and Chukov and Zukov, obviously, um, and Rokosovsky in the right places at the right time. They, they know what their men can do. They've tested it. They know what they can expect from the Germans. Um, they've got this huge partisan force now, absolutely huge. I mean, you know, you're talking about a quarter of a million men organised behind enemy lines. Yeah. Being dropped with regular supplies, beetling around, being a total pain in the ass to the German supply lines. All of that suddenly is all coming together at, at, at the right moment. And they've now got, you know, instead of this kind of sort of, you know, if, if Stalin is still interfering in April, you know, March, April 1943, he's not by the summer of 1943 in the same way. He's now going, OK, get it. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll go with you, your plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's not yeah. saying it quite as sort of overtly as that, but but no. that's the kind of the message that is that is coming it's through. Filtering so the through, stage yeah. is set for, for for this, you know. And what we're talking about these these belts. I mean, it's it's minefields, it's it's destroyed bridges, it's destroyed roads. Everything that might make passage of the Germans um, easy is 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 made difficult. Um, it's well-sighted gun positions. It's vast amounts of artillery. So, so collectively, they've got something like twenty thousand artillery pieces. The tank battles that that, that are, and the attempted German incursions that have come are sort of because of the photographs. They're, I mean, and a lot of this, a lot of the way this battles look looked at, I think, is the photographic evidence. You don't see the artillery in the photographic evidence, do you? you don't see the effect. That, that, that this looks like a tank battle because of all the tank photographs of tanks and AFVs, but actually it's an artillery battle, which isn't a thing that gets captured in photography. It doesn't. No. It doesn't get relayed in photographs. You you may see pictures of gun positions or of guns, but but you what what you don't have from the photograph is the sense of the, the you know if a, an artillery concentration is brought in, that's not a thing that's that you can you can render in a photograph so so we don't have that in our sort of visual memory of the battle because because this has become so sort of synonymous with tank fighting isn't it, it um, yes and Prokhorovka and and yeah, and yeah yeah exactly by the beginning of July the kind of the, these belts are ready so you've got yeah. this this basically this six they've got three belts of defensive positions kind of up ahead, three behind them that they can fall behind if they need to. So the bulk of the bulk of the forces are within the th- first three belts. Yeah. Then you've got these second these 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 defensive positions which you can fall back to one two three. So that's six in total. Yeah. Then you've got the step front line, which is sort of if the if the front gets pinched off, the yeah. salient gets pinched off, and then you've got a further one behind that. So there's eight belts in all. And, and you know the Germans are just not going to get get. Just, it's just not going to happen for them. It just right. isn't. No. Um, and, and they know exactly where they're going to attack. 
because of their brilliant intelligence situation. So Vatutin has worked out, he's got 50 guns per kilometre. I mean... That's one every 20 metres. I mean, that's just... You could squarely argue this is an artillery battle. It absolutely is an artillery battle. It it really is. It's not a tank battle at all. It's it's an artillery battle. And Rokosovsky, where he thinks the Germans are going to attack, which is precisely where they're going to attack, he's got one gun per 10 metres. So, you know, just in the length of the width of this house are three guns. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You know, it really is amazing. Yeah. So they're absolutely ready. And obviously, as we all know, it's much easier to defend than it is to attack. Yeah. They've got everything in. The Germans have got their, their railway lines constantly being hammered every two minutes. Um, also, the Red Army Air Force has also changed tactics a bit. So they're used to flying kind of penny packets of like small yeah. squadrons of kind of sort of flights of four and, and squadrons of eight. Um, and, and now they're, they're they're changing up to formations of kind of 30 to 40 to 50 yeah. aircraft coming yeah. over on mass. So that, that means that you can have some who are doing the main bombing bit. These are all ground attack. This is your Il-2s and all the rest of it. Yeah. The Sturmoviks, um coming over and hammering German supply depots and whatnot. Um, and they're, they're just absolutely relentless in the build-up to the battle. And there was also this sort of counter-operation artillery that they're going to do. So they, they know when the Germans are about to move. And so there's this big decision about when to launch this huge yeah. barrage just as the Germans are about to launch. Yeah. Um, and again, in another show of, of how things are changing, Zhukov visits Rokossovsky on, on, um, on the night of the 4th, 5th of July, on that day. And he's there overnight with him. And yeah. they've just captured some German sappers. And the sappers say, well, it's going to launch in the northern part and, you know, tomorrow morning at whatever, yeah. four, five, whatever it is. And Rockers obviously goes, well, when should, you know, do, do I rely on these guys or not? What do you think? And Zuka, Zuka goes, you're the boss. It's your army. You decide. <laughs> Which on one level is kind of a bit gulpy, but, but yeah. on another level wouldn't have happened kind of a year earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a mark of, a mark of the progress they've made, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think we should leave it there. I think we should actually do the battle next next time. Eve of Eve of battle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then we can and then we can do the tank battle that never was. <laughs> oh God! Um, thanks everyone for listening. We will uh, see you very shortly for more Kursk. Um, uh, don't forget to get your tickets for We Have Ways Festival. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the program's being updated all the time. So, talking of Eastern Front, it looks like Anthony Beaver is going to be there. So that's yeah. good. That is good. That's all really good. Um, We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Cheerio. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.